Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from Talk Sport with me, Alex Crook. No Sam this week, so I've got my boot room buddy, the former Crystal Palace and Newcastle midfielder, Darren Ambrose, alongside me. Also on the weekend, Arsenal cement a five point lead at the top of the Premier League. We've drafted in a former gunner, Adrian Clark, to join the party. Coming up, Tony stands City at the Etihad and sends a message to Gareth Southgate. Spurs do it the hard way again and Everton get thrashed by Bournemouth for the second time in a week. This is the Game Day Podcast from TalkSport. Yes, a very warm welcome to uh, Darren Ambrose and Adrian Clark. Uh, guys, just give us your highlight of what's been a brilliant final weekend before the World Cup break. Uh, well, highlight for me is seeing Arsenal stretch stretch their lead at the top to five points. It was it was a real unexpected bonus ahead of kickoff for Manchester City to drop points at Brentford. That has to be the result of the weekend, doesn't it? Goodness me, Brentford hadn't hadn't won away from home in the Premier League all season. Everybody was thinking that was going to be a, a comprehensive home win. So that's that's the beauty of the Premier League. You never can guarantee a result. So to see Brentford turn City over and then Arsenal do the business, that was definitely uh, my own personal highlight. Yeah, I mean, Brentford, obviously, fantastic result. Ivan Tony, brilliant um, to score the two goals, having been left out the the World Cup squad. Uh, the Arsenal result was probably the low light for me this weekend. Uh, however, I'm going to have to add Spurs. You know, they turn up once again in the second half. And a fantastic comeback again. They, we see it against Bournemouth where they won 3-2. And we've seen it again where they've won 4-3. Ten minutes to go, I'm thinking, oh, um, frustrating being a Spurs supporter. Ten minutes later, absolutely brilliant. Love being a Spurs supporter. <laughs> well, no surprise, my highlight came uh, in stoppage time in the very last game of the weekend. Alejandro Ganacho, remember the name, what a moment for him and what a big goal that could be for Manchester United. And as I say, it topped off what was a fantastic last weekend before we all head to Qatar. Manchester City have won all seven Premier League games this season here at the Etihad. And should they win this lunchtime, they will scale the summit of the Premier League again. It's picked up by De Silva. He moves into the area, takes it across the face of goal. It's touched in by Tony. And Brentford may just have stolen all three points at the Etihad Stadium. How much trouble is David Moyes in right now? Full time, West Ham nil, Leicester two. It's a much, much needed three points for Steve Cooper's men. Forest are off the bottom of the Premier League. Forest won. 
Palace nil. Darwin Nunez, who's got it his second of the afternoon and doubling his side's lead. Liverpool three, Southampton one. Rodrigo Benchancourt wins it, baby, for Tottenham Hotspur. Amazing game on Talk Sport. Unbelievably. Spurs four, leads three. In comes Joe Willett, curling round Mendy's left hand into the top left hand corner. Newcastle one, Chelsea nil. Hit by Erdegaard and in. And Osler threw up. And Martin Erdegaard has scored again. Five points clear at the top of the Premier League and lead the Premier League at Christmas. Aston Villa have come from behind to lead here. It's Brighton 1, Villa 2. The wonder kid, Alejandro Ganacho, off the bench, has stole it late for Manchester United. Fulham 1, Manchester United 2. Now, let's not pretend this was a vintage Manchester United performance. They took an early lead courtesy of Christian Eriksen's first goal for the club. Then they got absolutely battered by Fulham. David De Gea once again uh, with a couple of excellent saves after the home side had got back on level terms. But what a finish, Adrian Clark from Ganacho. What pressure on the shoulders of the young man. And my word, did he deliver? It was a great moment, I've got to say, especially for Manchester United fans. But, but I always like to see youngsters burst onto the scene. And that's what we're witnessing at the moment with Garnacho. I'll tell you who he reminded me of as he, as he exploded inside De Cordova Reed. He, he reminded me of Giggsy back in the day. That explosive turn of pace and really calm finish coming in off the left-hand side. I think that was, that was a, a real classy moment. And he's some, when, when I look at young players, teenagers in particular, you look for what they're like in those moments that matter. Uh, it, it, when the chances fall their way, when they've got to pick the right pass. And even though we've only seen him in glimpses so far, he seems to have that ingredient where he can stay calm and make the right decision in those in those key moments. So he looks a, a real prospect. I mean, that's why Bakayo Saka is enjoying the career he's he's enjoying because he did the same thing. I, I can see Ganacho following suit and, and and being one of the Premier League's you know top young players. You know what, Crookie, as well? Decordova Reed is not slow, by the way. He's a fast player. And for I don't even know how Garnacho did it. He seemed to be running at full pelt. And the last five yards sped up again. He found that extra bit of pace. I think it's he's, he's been an absolute fantastic uh, last few games. Obviously, Aston Villa in, in midweek came on, changed the game. Fantastic assist. And then to see what he'd done today, soon as he came on, soon as he got the ball, he drives at the defender's. Should have probably won a penalty. We, we we discussed this on the boot room on Sunday night. Crookie should have won the penalty. and But then he he, he found a way to, to win the game for Manchester United. And listen, he seems to have had these, these so-called attitude problems, been called out a couple of times. It seems to have worked. Something's clicked in his head and he is really producing special moments. For me, he's the next big thing to come out of Manchester United, 100%. Uh, no Cristiano Ronaldo in the matchday squad, Adrian. <laughs> Was he genuinely ill, do you believe, or was he simply resting up to make sure that he was fit for what could be his final World Cup campaign? <laughs> who, who knows? Who knows? I mean, it's a strange weekend all round, isn't it? With with everyone on edge, just hoping not to make things worse. We saw um, Granite Jack come off with illness. Um, James Madison come off very early in the game, didn't want to take any chances. I think it's understandable to 
to if you're not feeling 100% to to skip this weekend so look who knows what what the truth is but united didn't need him today in the end and i d- i did think that they were getting worse actually in the game so it, it was a pretty good first half i thought from united and then they tailed off um and and that substitution was a bit weird wasn't it when when alanga came off and the McTominay came on it didn't really improve it so so Garnacho got United and maybe, maybe even Ten Hag a little bit out of jail in that second half but it, it was a cracking moment real drama and it was a good way for the Premier League to sort of hit that pause button wasn't it yeah and it, it could be a big result come the end of the season because it just keeps United uh, on the coattails of the top four if they didn't win the game they'd have had a long five weeks to sort of lick their wounds and and work out what went wrong. Fulham, I think, deserve tremendous credit. They gave a really good account of themselves once again uh, this season. They're ninth heading into the World Cup break. I think their fans would have taken that at the start of the campaign. And they do look a lot more at home in the Premier League, Darren Ambrose, this time around than probably in each of their last two Premier League campaigns. They absolutely do. You're right. And uh, obviously Mitrovic, who was missing, I think if he was playing, I think there'd have been a different result. I think maybe Fulham would have come away with the three points, at least a point in for that matter. Um, that When you're playing Manchester City and you're playing Manchester United and you're coming away disappointed not to get something out of the game, shows how far and how well you're doing in the Premier League. And I think also when the goalkeeper, David De Gea, is potentially man of the match, Shows how well you've played in the game. It's disappointing. They've been frustrated that on the night to concede in the last, basically last kick of the game. But credit to Fulham. They deserve something out of the game and they can really build on that. I don't think they'll go into the World Cup too disappointed. Ninth in the Premier League when you're one of the favourites to go down in, in most people's eyes. It's a fantastic achievement. And I think they bounced back pretty well from that lame effort, really, at the Etihad with, with 10 men. They really took, took the game mm. to United. I think they can... Like you say, go break for the World Cup on on a little bit of a high. I do, I do feel for them when when they've not got Mitrovic, it, it is a big old downgrade, isn't it for 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 Vinicius? You know, I don't I don't want to hammer him too much, but there's a huge gulf I think in quality between those those two. And I, I'm with I'm with Daz there. If yeah. Mitrovic played in this game, I think Fulham might have got something out of it. Well, there was a golfing quality down on the Sussex coast as well, where it finished Brighton one, Aston Villa two. Brighton took the lead. Inside 50 seconds in this game, Alexis McAllister capitalising on a mistake from his Argentina teammate, Emi Martinez. But after that, Villa really, really deserved their victory. Two goals from Danny Ings, the first from a penalty spot after a clumsy challenge uh, from Lewis Dunk to upend John McGinn. The second via a deflection. Darren Ambrose, we commentated this game uh, for TalkSport's overseas uh, broadcast service. And I think we both felt that, that Villa under Unai Emery, look a different beast to where they were under Steven Gerrard. Absolutely. Under Steven Gerrard, I feel conceding so early in the game, I, I think they would have crumbled. They'd have probably been two or three nil down at half time. And it's it's not a it's not against Steven Gerrard or the players, but something just wasn't clicking between those two. Uh, but Unai Emery didn't panic. The players didn't panic. They they conceded extremely early in the game, as you said, fifty seconds in. They continued their game plan, continued to try and play out from the back even though it went wrong with Emi Martinez trying to find Douglas Luiz. Um, but they continued what they have obviously been trying on the training ground and deservedly got back in the game. I'm going to say I do feel Brighton deserved the penalty. I think Luca Dean cleaned out Solly March in the second half. VAR had a look at it and said, no, there wasn't enough to overturn it. But I felt potentially it could have ended in a draw. But Unai Emery, 2-2 two two now. Fantastic return to the Premier League for him. 
Adrian, you, you saw Unai Emery at Arsenal. I, I think maybe actually he's a bit harshly maligned. I think he, he does a better job. He did a better job there uh, than maybe Arsenal fans were given credit for. He's won nine trophies since 2014, obviously became a specialist in winning the Europa League. Are, are you surprised that he's adapted so quickly uh, to this Aston Villa squad or is that a mark of just how good a manager he is? He knows his way around the technical area, doesn't he, Uno Emery? I, I, I don't think we should be surprised looking at his CV. He's had experience in the Premier League, so he, he knows what it's all about. Um, what I would say is that I'm slightly surprised how quickly Villa have looked different. They look different. Obviously, the, the shape of the side has, has changed a little bit with that narrow midfield four. They're, they're so much more aggressive. And I think that's great um, for them. They needed that. And... Uh, Uno Emery's teams, and the reason I don't think it worked at Arsenal is that Arsenal, Arsenal fans want their team to, to play pretty football and, and, and control matches via possession. Uno Emery's always been at his best as an underdog with, with, with a team that maybe doesn't have to have that much possession. That It's all about the, the turn, winning the turnovers, pressing, winning the turnovers and hitting teams hard and fast. And I think that in that regard, he's quite well suited to Aston Villa and and that's obviously how they won yeah. the game from a turnover in this one so yeah great start I think they've got a lot to do defensively they've got to work on passing out from the back you'll have seen that in the game they're a little bit iffy aren't they um, not not wholly confident and they're having to absorb a lot of pressure and that and at the moment Mings and Cons are, are doing it but I think if, if they're asked to do too much I'm not sure whether they're good enough to to, to sort of hold the very best at bay. I was looking at the cross count because they've been so narrow and so defensive, Villa, in these two games. Um, United had 23 crosses against them. Brighton had 27. So they are, they're letting teams have it out wide mm-hmm. and they're backing those two centre-halves to, to win their duels. It won't happen every week. Yeah, Esri concert for me was a, a contender for man of the match and, and probably backs up what you were saying. In terms of Brighton, if they'd have won that game, that they would have been in the top six at Christmas. They've never managed that before uh, in the top flight. How do you rate, uh, Darren, the job that Roberto De Zerbi has done there? We heard an exclusive chat from him on the boot room on Sunday night. I think he's done a great job. Obviously, come from what happened to him at Shakhtar, I think he he's really turned his life around, really. You know, it was a horrible ordeal he had to deal with out there. And to come to the Premier League shows uh, absolute brilliant ambition. Um, difficult start, difficult run of fixtures, lost the first few, we know that. But he's really turned it around. I think he'll be disappointed today. And he showed his frustration on the sideline, picking up a yellow card as well. Uh, it, I, I just feel... He will do very well. He's come into a job where Graham Potter has been fantastic for Brighton. So it's always difficult to follow a, a manager of that ilk at a football club. But he's really stamped his mark now. And I, I think it, it, they'll only progress under De Zerbe. He, he shows he knows his way around the Premier League already. And it's a great sign for Brighton supporters. Right, that's the story of Sunday. Let's get to Saturday. 23 goals on a thrilling day in the Premier League, including three at the Etihad live only on TalkSport. It's a game day triple header on TalkSport. It's picked up by De Silva. He moves into the area, chases it across the face of goal. It's touched in by Tony. And Brentford may just have stolen all three points at the Etihad Stadium. And there is the four-time whistle. And it's a celebration for Brentford. 
and for the Gunners. West Ham nil, Leicester to a break for the Foxes, finished well by Harvey Barnes. Forest are off the bottom of the Premier League, but they are still in the relegation zone. Morgan Gibbs-White with the goal. Kulisewski down the right-hand side of the box, into the area, Kulisewski, bits and call! Rodrigo Bentancourt wins it, baby, for Tottenham Hotspur. Amazing game on TalkSport, unbelievably. Spurs four, Leeds three. Darwin oh, Nunez, who's got it his second of the afternoon, and Liverpool three, Southampton one. Everton dreadful, Cherries fantastic. Former three, Everton nil. And in comes Joe Willick, right foot, curling round Mendy's left hand into the top left-hand corner. Newcastle one, Chelsea nil. Hit by Odegaard and in, and Osler threw up. And Martin Odegaard has scored again. Five points clear at the top of the Premier League and lead the Premier League at Christmas. Manchester City 1, Brentford 2. Surely one of the surprise scorelines of this season, of any Premier League season. Ivan Tony, tone deaf, was the headline on the back page of The Sun on Sunday morning. That iconic image of him with both fingers in his ears, having scored twice uh, to silence his doubters, to silence Gareth Southgate. That was a clear message, Adrian Clark, wasn't it, to the England manager after leaving <laughs> him out of the squad for Qatar? Well, it was a perfect response, wasn't it? It was, yeah, it's, it, he was very cool in the moments that, that mattered. He was the game's star man. It was all about Ivan Tony, wasn't it? Manchester City couldn't, couldn't really handle him throughout the game. So, yeah, what a response. Was he going to sulk? Was he going to was he going to sort of just mope around the pitch? No, he did the exact opposite. He said, "No, this is my stage. I'm going to own this game." And and I think a lot of people around the country were delighted to see to see what he did. So yeah, well well played, Ivan Tony. Um, and who knows? Somebody might get get a knock, an injury between now and, and the start of the World Cup. And because he's been so brilliant this weekend. He's got to be the next in line, hasn't he, for, for Gareth Southgate? So, uh, so yeah, he's, he's done his chances, no harm of being that standby guy. But yeah, it was it was just great all round, wasn't it? From from Brentford, I, I thought their tactics were superb. Thomas Frank nailed it. I wrote a piece in the in the for the Premier League ahead of the game about City's pressing because they've, they've won so many high turnovers this season, and I suggested in that piece they should just boom it really, <laughs> just go long because they've got one of the best target men in the division, if not the best. And uh, and that's what they did. They didn't really try and mess around with it at the back. They just launched it, didn't they? And and they did. to sit, They asked City's midfielders, basically, to run back towards their own goal. And they don't want to do that. And that was the problem, wasn't it? From those second balls, Man City were, were, were hopeless. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a fantastic day for Brentford. There's your headline, hopeless Manchester City. I'm sure producer Jeremy is is noting that down uh, as we speak. But it's easy to say when we sit here with City five points adrift of Arsenal at the top of the table. But it, it, I don't think they've been as good this season, maybe, as they've been made out to be Manchester City. I think they dropped points at Aston Villa, which took some doing when Steven Gerrard uh, was in charge. Have we hyped up this Manchester City team a little bit too much, Darren? <laughs> I don't think so. No. Also, by the way, breaking news: Thomas Frank reads Adrian Clark's uh, <laughs> piece in the papers, and obviously goes with his instructions because it clearly worked. I don't think we've hyped him up too much. I think people are questioning if you keep Harlan quiet, 
you keep Manchester City quiet. And at the moment, it looks like that's the case. Pep Guardiola come out after the game and said, Brentford were the better side. I, I, I don't think they were. I don't think they were the better side. I think the stats suggest in terms, I think 70, 75% possession, Man City, nearly 30 shots. The key stat for me, apart from the goals though, I think 29 shots Manchester City had, six on target. To Brentford's 10 shots, eight on target. That's a fantastic success rate in terms of attacking threats. And Ivan Tony, it had to be him. He nearly got, and I think everyone bar Manchester City supporters was probably willing for him to score his hat-trick in the end because it was a brilliant performance, brilliant display. He, he has to feel hard done by not being in the squad. For me, I'd have taken him and Callum Wilson. I think I'd have probably uh, risked that. I'd have um, got rid of one of the defenders potentially. And I'd have taken both the the forwards. So it was a fantastic result. I do think Manchester City were the better side, but you can't take nothing away from Brentford. Yeah, I I don't think we're overhyping City, Alex. I really don't. I mean, they're top of all all the metrics. They are are a sensational team. But I do think... They're not top of the table. They've always got... Yeah, well, they're not. but, But they are the best team. I think we all know that. Um, but but if you can get out of your own half, which is it sounds ridiculous, but if you can get out of your own half and test their back four, they're not brilliant. They they they, they are fallible yeah. on occasion. You can unsettle them. I don't think uh, Emmerich Laporte is having a very good season, particularly. I don't, I don't think Cancelo's been as good defensively. They, they've not got Carl Walker, so they're using Stones at right back. That's not perfect. The problem is most teams can't get into the final third to hurt City. If you can, like Brentford did, you can you can score goals and you can you can upset the odds. But you've got to be ruthless, as as Darren pointed out yep. there. Eight eight shots on target from ten. That's that's different class. Well you can't say Arsenal weren't ruthless. They beat Wolverhampton Wanderers by two goals to nil at Molyneux. It was live on Talk Sport and it cemented the Gunners as the Christmas number one in the Premier League for this season. So tell me, Adrian Clark, because I know you spend a lot of time uh, in that particular part of North London. You've got a lot of connections to your former club. Why are Arsenal fans refusing to admit that their team are in a title race this season? <laughs> just just playing it down. It's, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves because the bottom line is, and I think we all know this deep down, the bottom line is when players get injured from Mikel Arteta's first choice eleven, that is when the problems will start. If Arsenal lose Thomas Partey for, to to an injury or suspension, or Gabriel Jesus, or William Saliba, Bukayo Saka, these guys, then the, the the ones who are on you know in reserve aren't quite at the same level. Cities are. That is the difference. That is the key difference. But uh, yeah, if, if if somehow Arsenal can miraculously keep all eleven of Mikel Arteta's favourites fit and healthy for the entire season, they've got a chance. But when does that ever happen, really? Crookie, come on, we need to stop playing this down. Adrian, we need to stop playing this down. Man, Arsenal are in a title challenge. I've said I said this on the boot room. I, I want to put some pressure back onto Arsenal. They're not going away, and it's frustrating me as a Spurs supporter. You know, they're answering every question thrown at them. People are saying they've not played anyone. They play big teams, they win. People are saying they've got a massive fixture pile up. Nine games in however many days. 
They only lost to PSV in the, in the Europa League after making numerous changes. They're winning everything else. They're drawing against Southampton when they could have lost that game last season. They're beating Leeds where they could have lost that and should have lost that. Yeah. Last season, they would have done. They're five points clear in the Premier League. Yet everyone is still saying, oh, is anyone going to catch Manchester City this season? They're five points behind Arsenal. They're going into Christmas, albeit it's unprecedented. They're probably six, seven games behind where they'd be in, in a normal season. They're going into Christmas, top of the league. They're full of confidence. Needs backing in January, though, because last season he didn't get backed. They fell off it a little bit and that ultimately probably cost them the top four. They need to be backed. He needs Amical Arteta needs to be backed in January. Let's repeat this again. Arsenal are in a title challenge. He still won't say it. He still won't say it. Uh, Gabriel <laughs> Jesus, I think we all felt that he could be uh, a transformative signing for Arsenal. I think he has been uh, with the way that he leads from the front. He brings that winning uh, desire, that hunger to the dressing room. It was another game, though, Adrian, where he didn't manage mm. uh, to find the back of the net. That drought is getting bigger by the week. When does that start to become a concern? Well, I think it's already a thing, isn't it? Everyone's talking about it. I think he's feeling the heat to some degree, but because everybody else is sort of sharing the goals around, it it, it hasn't cost the team, has it? So, yeah, I mean, strikers. I mean, Darren's played with so many strikers down the years, as have I. Strikers are only ever really happy when they're scoring. <laughs> they can be grumpy so-and-so, can't they, Darren, when when they're not in the goal. So yeah. so he's not gonna be he's not gonna be buzzing just because he's playing well. He he's gonna be very frustrated. But but that is the strength of Arsenal. I've I've played them down in terms of the, the strength in depth, but but what they do have that no one else has at the moment is a breadth of players that are contributing all the time. I think they're the only team that have got five players that have created over twenty chances this season, that front five have all created, I think, between 20 and 27 chances. I mean, there's like two or three in it between all of them. You can look at the goal count. It's the same. The same five people, all scoring multiple goals. No one's gone beyond six, but it hasn't mattered because they're all they're all chipping in. So that that, that is the, one of the main strengths of, of Arsenal at the moment. And yeah, long run it continue. Uh, quick w- word on Wolves, Darren. Lopetegui watching from the stands. They are bottom. They will be bottom uh, at Christmas, which is never a great omen. As you say, it's come slightly earlier this year, so maybe not as concerning as in previous campaigns. Mm. Can he keep them up? How big a challenge is that for the former Spain and Real Madrid coach? I I think if if any team needs a new manager bounce, it's Wolves. Obviously, it's going to come after Christmas, the first few games in the Premier League. They need something done. Crookie, Adrian, I think they're in trouble, Wolves. Mm. I really do. I think last season... Can't score, can they? It kind of, they were edging... To, exactly, they were edging towards that way when Raul Jimenez got injured. When he's not playing, they can't score. And that's the issue. They've got fantastic players. They're creating chances against Arsenal. Just couldn't put the ball in the back of the net. And that's what you need to win games. I think they're in a bit of trouble this season. I hope he can come in and, and, and have a new manager bounce and get them clear of it. I just can't see it. Yeah, it's going to be uh, a big second half of the season for Wolves. Big transfer window as well. How big a second half of the season will it be for Darren Ambrose's beloved Tottenham? Another thriller at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Once again, they started badly. Once again, Tottenham fell behind. Once again, Antonio Conte found a way to win. This one was live on TalkSport as well. It finished Spurs 4, Leeds 3. 
Adrian Clark from an Arsenal uh, man. Uh, is this genius from Antonio Conte that they keep falling behind and his team keep finding a way to win? Or are they just really, really, really lucky? <laughs> you're, you're stitching me up either way there, aren't you? Uh, <laughs> I'd say they've been a little bit fortunate, but they'll say they've got great character and that they've got this fighting spirit and they keep going to the end and they've got this amazing belief. So, yeah, it's you could say it's been a bit fortunate, but you've got to put the ball in the back of the net. And, and Ben Tancor did it uh, later on. I think Kulisevsky was the main man here, wasn't he? I mean, that assist for the last goal I thought was brilliant. Not happy uh, with Robin Cox's um, contribution towards that. That was that was one of the lamest e- attempts at a tackle I've seen in a long time. But um, Kulisevsky was, was, it a was cock superb. Up? It was a cock-up. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what it was. Um, <laughs> um, but yet yeah, Spurs are a team. I think we. I think Darren would probably accept this as well. They're not that creative as a team. They're efficient, aren't they, Tottenham? But Kulisevsky is the one guy I think that's that brings that to the table. Uh, he's only pl- made seven starts and there's only one player that's created more chances than Kulisevsky for Spurs this season. And that's Harry Kane, who obviously plays every minute of every game. So he he's a difference maker for sure. And they've got to keep him fit. But no, look, credit where it's due. They look to be heading towards a, a damaging defeat and they turned it around. So yeah, well done Spurs. Go on, Darren Ambrose. I know you can't oh, yeah. wait once again yeah. to have a pop at our own uh, Jamie O'Hara. He was still seething uh, on the game day phone and about the Tottenham performance despite the victory. And you're not happy with this narrative, are you, that, that well, Tottenham are a bit rubbish, really? Well, I, I understand where it's come from. I know first half, for some reason, Spurs don't seem to show up. And it's not a game plan. Harry Kane's come out and said he doesn't understand why. And I tell you, if the second half of the season is anything to go by in terms of the matches, now they turn up in the second half of games, it's going to be a brilliant second half of the season. And they're going to fly up the table and stay in the top four. I'm not happy with the the narrative around Antonio Conte and how Spurs somehow are lucky to have him as a manager. And as soon as they go a goal down or they lose a game... It's Antonio Conte is going to leave. It's like, and, and when they win and you see the passion he shows on the sideline, it's, oh, he loves the club. You need to have a balance, you know. No, He's not come out and said he's going to leave. If he does, by all means, people need to phone up TalkSport, do what they ever do have to do and give him some stick. Just let him be. Let him do his, he's, he's working miracles at the moment. Let's be honest. You look at some of the defenders. He's a defensive manager, Antonio Conte. And you look at some of the defenders we've got in the team. Mm-hmm. The only question mark I have over Antonio Conte is why he continues to play Emerson Royal. And I hate digging out players. Like Adrian said earlier, mm. I hate digging out players. But sometimes the players need to be, have a moment out the team and maybe play Jed Spence. He can't be any worse. Davidson Sanchez, but he shouldn't be near the a, a potential top four back line. I, he needs to get to January. I, the, the last January window, he signed Kulusevski, Benson, Kerr. Absolutely magnificent signings. If he can produce a couple of or two or three players like that this window in a defensive side, there's no issues going forward. It's the defensive side that needs improving. And it would be exciting. He just needs the time, needs the players. But giving better defenders and Spurs have got a real team because that is the weak link. You look at them, long lay, not great. Emerson Royale, I mean, for the first goal, oh, so lazy. In terms of his positioning, no yeah. real desire to get back and, and cover. 
Um, he, he is a liability. Yeah. I, th- I think two new centre-halves. And, and a goalkeeper, be... Adrian. A Pardon? goalkeeper. Lloris has been a great servant for the football club. We know that. But again, he, he's coming to the end of his career, in my opinion, for Spurs. And I think we need to improve... The last goal, the Leeds' third goal, I think he should have done better. His positioning was all wrong, in my opinion. I'm not a goalkeeper, but just look, he was too near the front post. And, you know, it was easily just placed into the far post. I think we need a whole, basically a whole new back line, a new goalkeeper. And like you said, will be a great, great force to be reckoned with. He, it, This should be Hugo Lloris' last season, shouldn't it? Really, as, as captain, yeah. as, no, as first choice goalkeeper. If Antonio Conte is is ruthless and, and wants to act for the best interest of the team, I am with you, actually. I think there's been a bit of a decline yeah. over the last few years. And uh, yeah, they won't make a change in January. I think that would be too brutal, wouldn't it? No. I think in goal, but I think this summer uh, they'll change it. I mean, if you think Tottenham are bad defensively, what about Leeds? Now, uh, our producer tonight, Jeremy, is, is a massive Leeds fan. He's given me some bullet points uh, to talk about when it comes to this game. And it says in capital letters, so he's screaming at me, they are a defensive shambles. Liam Cooper struggling, uh, says our resident Leeds fan. I mean, it is a concern, isn't it, Adrian, that Leeds just look far too open to conceding goals. Yeah, we just, I think we all agreed there that Spurs need a whole new defence. I think the same does apply to Leeds United. I mean, who would you keep? If you ask Leeds fans, like, who 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 do you want as first choice next season out of your current back four? I don't think they'd choose any of them. So, um, yeah, I think they need to they need to invest in, in that side of things. Um, yeah, they, they were all over the place in this game. It's all still a little bit wild, isn't it, with, with Leeds? I do like their spirit. I love the dynamism that, that, that the manager brings. And there's a, a real attacking bravery. But there's not much structure to the team. The positional discipline of the team is 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 poor. Um, he, you know, being a manager, it's great to win at Anfield. Brilliant. They had that moment. But to be, to be a good manager, you've got to work on all aspects of your team's play. And I think mm. he, he's, it seems from the outside looking in that he's working much harder with the attacking players and putting more effort into that than he is with the defenders. I'll tell you who don't need new defenders. Newcastle United, they beat Chelsea by a goal to nil. They have the meanest defence in the Premier League heading into this World Cup break. And I think the biggest compliment you can pay Newcastle, Darren, one of your former clubs, I know you think they're title contenders, let alone top four contenders, but we weren't surprised they beat Chelsea by a goal to nil. I think we'd have been surprised if they lost. Yeah, of course. Um, I, I think that's a little bit part of how Chelsea are playing this season as well. But Newcastle seem to be going to the the so-called perceived big clubs and making them look average. And they've done that to Chelsea. They've done that uh, to Tottenham at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Got a draw at Old Trafford where they probably would have lost. They've Their only defeat, remember, was Liverpool in the 98th minute. Question marks over why there was that long and the time-wasting situation. That's another story. The teams that are so supposed to be in and around them, I, I've got a list of them here. Fulham, 4-1 they beat. Brentford, 5-1 they beat. Aston Villa, 4-0 they beat. Southampton, 4-1. They're demolishing teams in and around them. The World Cup is coming up. A lot of their superstar players, their better players, are not going to the World Cup. Sven Botman, Almiran, Sir Maximan, players like that, they're not even going to the World Cup. Uh, Isak is going to have that time to uh, recover and 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 he's fit, get his fitness back. It, they've got, I think, Leicester uh, on um, Boxing Day and then they play Leeds. 
two winnable games um, uh, for Newcastle before they go into January. If they're sitting in third or fourth in the top four in January, they are going to invest. They're going to back Eddie Howe and players are going to want to be part of this project. I'm telling you now, for a financial point of view as well, as there's a chance to get Champions League. And that's why I say they are, they're in for a slight chance. I'm not going to say they're going to oust Manchester City or Arsenal, but they're in for a slight, a slim chance of, of competing for the number one spot. I guess, Adrian, what we know about Newcastle with the, the wealth they have now is if they are uh, in a title race come January, and Darren Ambrose certainly believes they are, they have the ability to go out and invest in the squad. That comes with risk attached. Maybe it risks upsetting the harmony in the dressing room. How would you expect the owners and, and Eddie Howe to approach the upcoming January transfer window? I think that's a really interesting question, actually, because, yeah, they, they've got the finances to, to go out and bring superstars in, but would that ruin what they've got? So I think there's, I, th- I would go on the same path that they've, they've, they've gone on so far in terms of not going too crazy, getting those players in that aren't the superstars, but they're rising stars. And they're will- you want, I think they're looking at young, um, talented players that will really listen to Eddie Howe and, and take on board what he's asking him to do because his coaching is, has been fantastic. He's improving all the players. So yeah, he's the right coach for emerging players to work with. It, it feels like so yeah, really exciting time for Newcastle. Wow. It's, it is amazing. I was looking yeah. at the fixture list chaps. They've still got Arsenal at home. We've got Arsenal home and away, but they've got at St. James's park, Arsenal, Spurs, Liverpool and Manchester United. They've had a lot of tough big six away games not so many at St. James's Park, which has been, you know, a horrible yeah. place to go, hasn't it? So, yeah, it's amazing. And and stylistically, I just love, it's refreshing to see a Newcastle team pinning teams in, isn't it? They used to be 5-4-1, come and attack us, we'll break on you every, you know, once a half. <laughs> I mean, now they're taking the fight to teams. They're joint top with Man City uh, for high turnovers this season, or they were ahead of this weekend. I mean, Newcastle didn't get a turnover inside the final third for about three months under Steve Bruce, I'd imagine. So it's, it's amazing, really, mm-hmm. um, the turnaround. And they're doing it at the moment without Isak and without Alan Sam Maximan as well. You know, the two sort of golden boys of, of, the, of the club. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's remarkable. The top four is achievable. I'm not saying they're getting it, but it's, it's achievable. Newcastle and Arsenal, probably the two teams who want this World Cup break the least in terms of the momentum they've built up. Graham Potter and Chelsea might be the manager and the club who need it the most because it's five games uh, without a win now for Chelsea. I thought Armando Broya really struggled in the game at St. James's Park. I still don't really know uh, what they're trying to do with, with the team selection. I don't know where the goals are coming from. I think Raheem Sterling has been a massively underwhelming signing, which is a worry uh, as far as England are concerned. How concerned will Chelsea fans be, um, Darren Ambrose, about the fact they just seem to have lost all semblance of any kind of form? Yeah, extremely concerned, I feel. I do feel they'll give Graham Potter a chance, and I think they they, they are showing that. Uh, with the previous regime, I think Graham Potter would be under pressure already. We don't know how the, the new owners are going to react to, to dips in form like this. I do feel they'll... They'll give him the transfer winner. They'll give him the summer, at least this season, of course. But, you know, he's trying to put a philosophy and the, the style of play that he had at Brighton with players that probably are not used to this and probably not good enough to play this 
way. Whereas I'm not saying they're worse players than Brighton, but Brighton they were they were so regimented in playing this way. They knew exactly what Graham Potter wanted. He needs to install this into the Chelsea side. January, I've no doubt he's going to make signings. I think if you look yesterday, Mason Mount, Brozier and Conor Gallagher is the front three. I mean, that that's not going to put fear into a lot of defenders, the front three like that. And as harsh as that sounds, they're all good players, but that's not a Chelsea front three. Aubameyang, I don't think, was the right signing at the, the right time. They need a, a, a big, strong, good centre-forward that's really going to put fear into teams. You've always had that with Chelsea. Look back to Didier Drogba days. They've always put fear into teams. At the moment, they're not. And it's been a little bit poor for Graham Potter. And he's probably scratching his head as to as to what's going wrong. Liverpool 3, Southampton 1. Darwin Nunez scored twice for Liverpool. A baptism of fire. It was always going to be uh, for Nathan Jones. We'll get Adrian's view uh, on his appointment in a moment because I know he's someone uh, that you've played with and know reasonably well. Uh, how important a win was it, uh, Darren, for Liverpool? And is Darwin Nunez finally finding his feet in the Premier League? Because he went off the boil, didn't he, after that red card earlier in the season? He did a little bit, yeah. But, I mean, he's got five goals in ten games, one in two for a new young strike in the Premier League. That's not bad. That's not a bad return. I just think the the form and the emergence of Erling Haaland has, has put a, a whole new meaning of how well you start in the Premier League. If it wasn't for Haaland, people would be saying, you know what, Nunes is doing quite well, one in two in the Premier League. Showed some, some great ability yesterday. He's fast, he's strong, he's powerful. He puts fears into defenders, by the way. You talk yeah. about a Chelsea needing a forward like that. He does and made a slight mistake uh, with Joachim Anderson at Palace and he got caught up into that. Looks like he's learned from that as well. They needed this win to stay in touch. But they could have lost as well, by the way, or drew. Southampton had some amazing chances at the end. And, you know, they've they, they done well to, to keep the 3-1 intact, to be honest. But all in all, Liverpool deserved that. And, you know, they'll be going into the break full of confidence again. Now, I've said uh, on this podcast, Adrian, cajoled uh, by Messrs Matterface and Darren Lewis, who's usually with us uh, on a Sunday evening, Monday morning, by the time this podcast uh, hits the, the various uh, uh, places, um, that Liverpool won't make the top four this season. They won't finish above Manchester United. Am I going to look silly come the end of the season? <laughs> I think that's Again. a bold thing to say. <laughs> I think you might look silly. Not for the first time, I might add, Alex. Sorry. <laughs> but no, it's... Um, I mean, why would you write off Liverpool? I mean, they've had a shocking start to the season by their standards. But, but you know, there's seven points, you know, off, I think, with a game in hand of the top four. You know, it's... It's achievable for, for them absolutely in the second half of the season. Alisson has been brilliant. He's prevented, right? I was looking at this. Um, the XG prevented, which is a measure of how many goals a goalkeeper um, has saved your team this season. He saved them just under seven goals, according to our friends at Opta. That's more than any other keeper in the Premier League. So it could have been worse for Liverpool mm. by now. I think that the fact that they're within touching distance is actually a huge relief and a big bonus for Jurgen Klopp, given how poor they've been. And and yeah, when you look, think about Nunez and Salah coming into form now, maybe getting some of those other guys back from injury, they will they will be strong, I'm, I'm sure of it. And they, they can reel a few of the teams in, I think, that are in the current top four. But, but they have to be better, a lot better. 
Yeah. yeah, again, Jurgen Klopp might just welcome the break and uh, give him a chance to work with some of those players like Mo Salah, who, of course, won't be a part uh, of the World Cup party. Uh, Nathan Jones uh, won't be in party mood after defeating his first game as Southampton manager. Tell us, Adrian, why you think this is a good appointment, because it has been mocked uh, in quite a few quarters, actually. Yeah, I don't think it should be mocked. I mean, well, time will tell if it's a good appointment. What I would say, I'm not going to sit here and say he's definitely going to be a roaring success at Southampton just because I used to play with him and he was my mate. Um, I rate him. I think he's a really smart coach, deserves the opportunity. But from Southampton's point of view, it's a brave appointment, isn't it? It's a risky one because he's not got any experience at the at the highest level. He didn't as a player, as a, as a coach. He's also worked exclusively in the EFL. So, so. Who knows how it's going to go? Um, but he's got a great appetite for coaching. He wants to improve players. Um, he is a smart tactician. He's not married to one style of play. He can tweak it. His, fir- his first incarnation at Luton played some glorious football. Neat triangles, attack-minded stuff, sort of diamond system. He's moved away from that. This year's Luton were very direct. Um, so he can he can adapt to the players that he's got. Um, he's got a few promotions under his belt as a player. Uh, and as a manager, he took Luton up from League Two. He would have taken him up from League One, but if he hadn't have joined Stoke, so yeah, he, he, I think he's he's got the tools, he's got the experience uh, as a coach. I think to to do okay at Southampton, it's just will the players listen? Uh, will they take on board his messages? That that's that's the trick, isn't it? And I think they will, but it might take a while to get to know him because he's quite a quirky character, um, infectious, busy. Loves loves football. He won't stop talking, um, and not some of the players at the outset might think, oh, "What's going on here?" But I think once they get used to him, they will really like Nathan, and and hopefully they'll they'll respond well to his messages. He gave one of the quotes of the season as well. His uh, unveiling press conference last week down at the uh, training ground, the Saints training ground of the New Forest. He described himself uh, as a skinny. Welsh rat-faced boy. Uh, which, I mean, uh, he is, know, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is fairly self-effacing. So, uh, good luck to him. Okay, still three more games to look back on uh, on what was a brilliant weekend. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to hurt in the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to work in the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. 
Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Bournemouth 3, Everton 0. I was at the Vitality uh, for TalkSport. We talk about Bournemouth and, and what the future may mean now for Gary O'Neill in a moment. But Everton, they were dreadful, Darren Ambrose. Six defeats in eight games now for Frank Lampard. They picked up fewer points at this stage of the season than they did a year ago under Rafa Benitez. He was vilified and despised by the Everton fans. Are we thinking that Frank Lampard is under pressure? I think in any other occasion, you'd say yes. I think, like we said, unprecedented at the moment with the World Cup. I think he's going to give he's going to be given a, a little bit of time. I think he's worked well in terms of getting everyone on board, um, apart from the weekend, of course, where we see the unsavoury scenes towards the players and Frank Lampard himself. I think a little bit of naivety occurred in terms of the players. You need to read the room, really. You go over, you show your support. You're, you're grateful for the supporters to be there and then you just get off, you know, and let the supporters make their way home. Two trips to Bournemouth and getting battered both times is not a great look for, for Everton or Frank Lampard. To have the shirt thrown back at you in, in Iwobi's case, it, it's not a good look. But they're struggling. Of course, they're struggling, but they've got good, they've got good players and I think they'll turn that around. Just need to be given a little bit of time, a little bit of patience, little bit of backing and support. I understand the supporters' frustrations because, like I said, long, long way to go to get beaten twice by uh, 4-1, then 3-0 against Bournemouth. But I think he'll do enough this season and he'll have to build on that next season. Yeah, I said at the start of the season that, that Everton were one of the teams I thought would be relegated. It was a bold call. I then apologised to Frank Lampard because actually I like some of their signings. They seem to hit a good run of form. That's deserted them now. Again, maybe he needed this break. But the worry is when Dominic Calvert-Lewin is not fit, where are the goals coming from? Neil Mopo was absolutely dismal um, at the vitality. And I just think there's a little bit of a lack of character in this Everton side. And when the away fans start to turn, that's never a good sign for any manager. Who do we think will be the new manager um, at Bournemouth? They're going to make a permanent appointment, I understand, uh, over the course of the next few days. Marcelo Bielsa very much... Uh, in their thoughts, Gary O'Neill, the only other serious contender, having done what I think was an excellent job in interim charge. Do you think they'll go with Bielsa, the more glamorous appointment, or could they well stick with Gary O'Neill, Adrian? Yeah, it looks like it's going to be Bielsa. You saw Gary sort of applauding the fans at the end, and he was welling up, wasn't he? He looked very emotional. I think he feels that that's the end. For him at Bournemouth, which is so harsh, so harsh, because I don't think he could have done a better, a better job. Last three games, have scored eight goals. He's changed the mentality, hasn't he, at Bournemouth under Scott Parker? It was he, he didn't believe in the players. To he didn't think they were good enough to go and attack matches in the Premier League. He was very cautious, and Gary Neil sort of flipped that around and made them believe that they can score goals and they can go and hurt these top-flight opponents. And they have, haven't they? On numerous under, uh, on numerous occasions under Gary O'Neill. OK, they've lost a few, but but it's Bournemouth. You know, they don't have as good a team as as, as a lot of their, their opponents. So I think there's a really bright manager there. And, and if Bournemouth do go for Bielsa ahead of O'Neill, I get it. It's totally understandable. Bielsa is, has got an, a, a brilliant track record. But Gary O'Neill... I think would be very high on the shortlist of of so many jobs. Um, Yeah, so he he doesn't need to worry. 
at all, Gary O'Neill. He'll, he'll get work as a, as a manager now. He's been excellent. Yeah, he was quite open as well when I asked him about the, the Bielsa rumours after the game and he spoke about his admiration for Bielsa, said if he does come in, I'm sure he'll do a great job. I just wonder if the emphatic nature of the win over Everton, the fact that players clearly mm. are playing for Gary O'Neill, might just sway the new owner, Bill Foley, uh, to stick with the former Portsmouth midfielder. Mm. Uh, we will find out, I'm sure, very shortly. Uh, it finished Nottingham Forest 1, Crystal Palace nil. The big talking point from this game, as well as Morgan Gibbs-White scoring the winner, Darren Ambrose, was your mate Wilf Zaha missing from the penalty spot. He's now missed three of his last four spot kicks. Do you need to drop him a text message and say, Wilf, let someone else have a go? Well, he wouldn't be on him if I was still there, I tell you that. I'd be straight <laughs> on him. But listen, we, we spoke to Wilf in the, in the boot room, Crookie, last season, I think. And he he said when Luka Milivojevic was the penalty taker, he'd always win them and he'd, he'd allow him to take them. And he thought, no, now's the time. I want to step up. I want to be the main man. I want to be the penalty taker. One of them that he missed was was unlucky. He slipped over. That You can't help that. And it ended up going wide. This one was disappointing. Put it wide. He missed the target. And if the if the goalie saves it and it's a good penalty, you can accept that. If you miss the target, it's frustrating. But you know, no doubt, once we get Palace get another penalty, Wilf will step up and take it again. And if he does, he'll score as well. Okay, he's missed a few, but he scored a few as well. He's the main man at Crystal Palace, and it was unfortunate. If that if that would have gone in, it would have been a different story. I think Palace were the better side. It would have been a different story. Palace would have won that game. But credit to Nottingham Forest. They needed the victory. And that moves them one step closer to getting out the bottom three. But as I said, it could have gone, it could have quite easily gone the other way and Palace could have walked away with the three points. Yeah, I think the fact Forest have improved defensively, started to pick up a few wins, uh, will probably worry a lot of teams down there because maybe they were written off at the start of the season, but they are uh, very much in with a shout for survival. West Ham in with a shout of survival. It seems ridiculous, doesn't it, to be talking about them in those terms. They were beaten 2-0 at home by Leicester. James Madison crowning what's been a brilliant week uh, with a goal. Hobbled off injured, fortunately. Nothing to suggest he won't be able to to board that plane and be part of the England squad in Qatar. A lot of West Ham fans, Adrian Clark, turning this weekend on David Moyes. Is that fair or do they have short memories? <laughs> <clears throat> they have short memories, but this season West Ham have gone backwards. We can all see that, and I think that that that, that it's fair enough that he's under pressure. And and I'll tell you partly why. I, I think that he's he's gone back to his cautious ways. Last season West Ham were kind of a bold, more adventurous team. It was almost you know like Moyes had had thrown out some of the formula that that, that he'd got stuck under. For, for a number of years and he went for it a little bit more and they were great to watch. This season, they have wasted so many first halves by by being defensive. Now, I've got a couple of numbers here. West Ham have scored four goals in the first half of matches this season. That's one every 169 minutes or more pertinently, it's one first half goal pretty much every four first halves. Because that's three blanks in four. I mean that's shocking. That is awful. If you if you're a West Ham fan, where's where's the team flying out of the blocks? You know, taking the fight to the opposition. They're not, and it put, and it puts you under pressure. Arsenal, I'll turn it back to Arsenal if you'll forgive me. But they've been fast starts, haven't they, this season? And if you score early goals, you can cling on to games, and, and it puts you in a position of strength. West Ham are chasing 
too many games and that's a problem. And I think West Ham fans have got a right to be unhappy with what they've seen. I think Moyes deserves a little bit longer to turn it around, but I think it's fair enough he's under a bit of pressure. Uh, It's not the halfway stage of the season, but uh, with this five-week break for the World Cup, it seems as good a time as any to just survey uh, the current state of play. So very quickly, uh, each of you, could you give me your Premier League champions, your top four, and the three teams to go down? Darren Ambrose. Wow. Right, Premier League champions. Um, I, I can't say the team that Arsenal. is sitting top at the moment. I just can't. I can't say it. So I'm going to say Manchester City. I think they'll they'll go on a, an amazing running streak, winning streak, and I think they'll they'll win top four. Obviously, Man City being number one. I'm going to say Arsenal, Spurs, and Newcastle. I think that's going to be the top four. Big teams missing out on that. This could come back to haunt me at the end of the season. It normally does. To go down, wow! Um, look, I, I, I said on the boot room on Sunday, Crookie, that perhaps we could see three teams different to the ones that got promoted last season go down. I'm going to go back on that a little bit. I think Nottingham Forest are going to be one of the teams to go down, and at the moment, I'm going to I'm going to say Wolves and Southampton. I just think I, I, they need manager bounce back. They, both of those teams, but are they good enough? Wolves, in particular, can't score. We spoke about that. And Southampton, if Nathan Jones, if they listen to him, as as Adrian said, then they will get out of it. But at the moment, 14, 15 games in, those are my three to go down. Adrian, I'm, I'm going to pick. I'm going to go. I'm going to go with Manchester City uh, to win the league. I, I, I genuinely mm. believe that they, they still will. <laughs> I know it's a boring <laughs> answer, and Arsenal fans will be booing me as well, rightly so. But I still, I'm still not quite confident enough we can maintain it. I, I'm still dreaming. Like all Gunas are, but but yeah, my head is telling me Man City will will still win the league. Um, top four, City and Arsenal. Um, and I'm going to go slightly different to, to Darren. Actually, I'm going to say Liverpool are going to cover have a charge, um, and I'm going to put your your beloved Man United in there as well, Crookie. A few things seem to be falling their way at the moment. They keep nicking results against Spurs. They were significantly the better side recently, of course, as well. So yeah, I think I think Spurs. Have probably got more points than their performances have, have warranted till this point, so it wouldn't surprise me if they did did falter. Um, in terms of going down, it's so hard. I think anyone in the bottom half could go down right now. Um, there's not, a, there's genuinely, there's not a truly awful team this year, which I think is good. It's good for the division, but Wolves can't score, so I can't have them in. Um, nor can Everton. Uh, so I'm going to put them in as well. I think that the crisis could go on a little bit longer this time for Everton. Uh, and even though I've praised them earlier, I'm going to put Bournemouth in there because they still let in an awful lot of goals. And teams that go down tend to tend to be pretty leaky at the back. Can they keep relying on you know Solanke and all the players around and Phil Billing to to score these goals? I'm not sure they can. So Wolves, Bournemouth, and Everton for me. All right, I'm going to go Arsenal to win the league. There you go. I'm going to stick my neck on the line. Uh, Manchester City to finish second. I think Tottenham third because of Antonio Conte. And I'm going to go Manchester United in the top four. So, therefore, Chelsea, Newcastle, Liverpool all miss out. Bottom three, I agree with you on Wolves. I think Lopetegui is going to need all that managerial magic to get them out of trouble. I'm going to go Everton uh, to stick with my call from pre-season. 
and I'm going to go Nottingham Forest, uh, but that might be slightly with my South Coast hat on because I don't want Southampton uh, to go down. There we are. There are predictions uh, for what could happen in the second half of the season. It's the uh, start of the World Cup, of course, next weekend, every game live, either on TalkSport or TalkSport 2. Um, in one or two words, tell me at what stage you think England will exit the competition. Darren. I think you, you should expect to get to at least the quarterfinals. I think you should get out of the group, no doubt about it. I'm led to believe it potentially could be Senegal. We don't know how Mane is going to be, but I think they should get past Senegal. Quarterfinals is going to be the tough one. Any further than the quarterfinals in the, in the World Cup, where there are some strong countries uh, putting their names forward in for the, for the World Cup, will be a success for me. So I'm saying at least the quarterfinals. I agree with Darren. I think quarterfinals and then probably they'll play France and it will be the end of the road. Adrian, can you uh, give us a different view on that? (laughs) That's what I've got got in my head, I've got to say. Um, Yeah, quarterfinals is about par for England. It wouldn't shock me if we went out in the last 16. I think the group could be much more of a struggle than than many England fans imagine because we're playing three quite defensive Mm -hmm. teams. Don't think they're going to be exciting matches. Um, it could be a bit torturous. Um, yeah, I, ju- I just think defensively, we, England are just not quite good enough to to go the distance in this World Cup. But I'd, I'd love to be wrong on that. Great stuff. Well, that's it for today. Big thanks to Darren Ambrose and to Adrian Clark for coming off the subs bench. I'll be back tomorrow with Sam Matterface for the first of our World Cup game day podcast. A reminder, we will be coming to you every single day from Qatar starting next Sunday. It's going to be brilliant. Until then, goodbye. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to add in the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to work in the channelised Bingbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.